very much, Pete. Well, we live now, don't we, in an online world. It's got lots of problems attached to it, especially if you're with Optus or Medibank Private or both. Anyone with both? That'd be good, wouldn't it? That'd be good. Someone's, with, uh, someone's got to be with both. But there's dangers that abound, isn't there, as we live our lives in an online world, whether it's hackers that are hacking away and our information or people trying to impersonate us on social media and create false accounts or whether it's just flat-out fraud. There's a fellow whose uh, name is... I'll struggle to pronounce it, but I think this is his name, Hagabind Tahil Romani. He's a man who has made $1 million through fraud... Uh, in the United States. His job was to impersonate film industry uh, people and to put out uh, recommendations of films and scripts that might go out for a small cost back to him. And as people started filing their money in his direction, he would pass them no scripts and no movie offers in return. As a result, he made money upon money upon money, $1 million of pure, unadulterated fraud. I wonder if you've been caught in a fraudulent situation. Have you been caught in a fraudulent place? Have you had money taken from you, stolen from you, your credit card hacked and fraudulently taken money away from you? This is part of the world in which we live in. People are not who they say they are. This morning we're going to ask ourselves a similar but different question. Are you a fraud? Am I a fraud? Not insofar as taking money from other people, but as a believer. In other words, are we someone who is all show, all talk, and and no action or no heart, where, where the gospel has not penetrated to our hearts? This can be easy to do, can't it? Unlike the persecuted churches we've just heard, there is no problem whatsoever in calling ourselves a Christian in Australia. In fact, it's easy to do. It causes us no, uh, no sacrifice whatsoever. Anyone, anywhere in Australia can call themselves a Christian and it's really quite easy to do. But to have our heart changed, well, that's a different story. See, today we're going to look at a story in the back end of the book of Judges that is all about DIY religion, doing it ourselves. Again, we're a nation that loves the DIY, aren't we? We watch our shows about DIY, The Block and so on, very popular shows on television. But when it comes to our belief and our religion, we we can construct a DIY version of our faith. It goes something like this. I like to think of God as, or I don't like to believe that God would think X, and it's easy to do. We pick and choose pieces of the Bible that we do believe and we don't believe. We place God in a box for a period of time to serve our needs and then bring him out again when we need him to serve our needs once again. It's a dangerous place to be. And in around about 1250 BC, we see an occasion of DIY religion that reminds us of how we can so easily fall into the same trap How we can so easily uh, take the worship of God and and pervert it for our own good, but in the end, not for God's glory. As has been our normal pattern, we work our way through books 
of the Bible. And as a few people have mentioned to me over the last few weeks, they've never in their uh, history of the Christian life walked through these parts of the book of Judges, particularly these chapters and the very uh, terrible chapters that we'll find next week. And so, if these are fresh to you, I'm going to pray that God might open our hearts to hear what he has to say, not only in chapter 17, but chapter 18 as well. And if you've heard this for the first time, you might like to ask a question about it. And we're going to do that later on at uh, slido.com on your device. And the hashtag to ask a question is HB for Helensburg and SP for Stanwell Park. Please have your Bible open in front of you. We're going to look at these two chapters of scripture this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us as we look at your word just now, these challenging passages that speak to us uh, of what we must not do. We pray that we would learn from this negative example this morning so that we might be wholehearted servants and followers of you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the cycle of the book of Judges. It's been something that we've looked at time and time again throughout the book of Judges, but in these last five chapters, from chapter 17 through to the end, it's something that we don't see at all. There's no cycle, there's no judge, there's no redemption for God's people at all. In fact, God's people, the Israelites, go further and further down into a spiral of sin. And here we see that they've lost all morality through false religion that has gone rampant in the nation of Israel. Today we'll see that the the false religion of the nation of Israel was a do-it-yourself, individual choice type of religion. We begin in chapter 17 with a man named Micah. Micah, we're told at the very beginning, his mum had 1,100 shekels of silver stolen from her. And she promises to, uh, to, to declare a curse on whoever stole the 1,100 shekels of silver. Now Micah hears of this curse that's about to be pronounced upon whoever stole it. And he realises, I've got the silver. I don't want that curse to be pronounced on me. And so not wanting the curse to be pronounced on him, he steps forward and says, Mum, whoops, I've got it with me. I've got the 1,100 shekels of silver with me. I'm sorry about that. Here it is. What would you do if your son stole the car and took it for a joyride? Didn't know where it was? And then they came home in it. You might be thankful that they came home in one piece, but I dare say you would put forward a few consequences. You can't have the keys anymore. Or you're grounded for a certain period of time. Or whatever it might be. But the mother here does nothing of the sort. In fact, she goes out of her way to bless her son. Oh, that's fantastic, son. You need to be rewarded for what it is that you've done. In fact, I'm going to take the 1,100 shekels of silver and hand it over as a service to God. And so I'm going to take it as a service to God and give it straight back to you, Micah. That makes no sense at all, does it? What's worse, verse 3 tells us that Micah gets the the 1,100 shekels of silver and takes 200 pieces of it and gives it to the silversmith who makes an idol out of it. And to make matters worse, he gets this idol and puts it with his other idols and then gets a priest to look after all of it. All of this, a personal worship in his own home with uh, with DIY worship written all over it. 
Now, it's probably likely that Micah was invoking the name of Yahweh, the true God. And yet, though he was using the right words in his worship, he'd got it all wrong. For a start, he's using idols to bring about his worship experience. He should be worshipping in the city of Shiloh, but he's not. He's doing it in his own backyard. And what's more, he's doing it with stolen goods. It all looks so religious, but it's missed the point. Look at verse 6. This is what it's about. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Micah was doing what was right in his own eyes. Worshipping, yes, but worshipping in a personal, do-it-yourself sort of way. And it gets worse. Verses 7 to 13 tell us that Micah meets a Levite on his travels. Now, the Levite people should have been the priests of God's people. And as a result, this Levite shouldn't be wandering around in the countryside. This Levite should be in Shiloh looking after the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the worship of God and his people. Instead, we're told he's a long way from home. Well, Micah meets him and he offers him a job. He offers him some work. He says, come and work for me and you can be my personal priest, my personal Levite. And I'll give you a room, I'll give you food, I'll give you a tab at the local religious supplies shop. Well, what an offer. One minute, this guy's wandering around in the wilderness, and the next minute, he's got his own personal little job. And it makes Micah all very happy. He's very, very happy with himself. Now, he's got his little shrine in the backyard. He's got his own personal setup with idols from stolen money. He's got his own personal religious trainer in his Levite in his own backyard. And look at what he says in chapter 17, verse 13. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord Yahweh will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. God's going to be good to me because I've got everything organized so that God will be good to me. He's treating God like the puppy dog, isn't he? I'm going to train God to do the right thing on my behalf, to give me the benefits and the blessings and the hugs and the admiration that I deserve. If I just do things right, God will bless me. People can be like this today, can't they? Maybe we are like this. Maybe we think God owes us to have a comfortable life. And if I do certain religious activities, God will give me that comfortable life. If I come to church every so often, God will be happy with me, give me a comfortable life. If I give a portion of money to charities or to Christian organisations or to the church... God will be happy with me, he'll give me a comfortable life. If I just serve God occasionally, do a few things for him, he's obliged to give me a comfortable life. But God is in debt to no man. Micah is trying to set up his own little religious system that obliges God to prosper him. But he's got it all round the wrong way. And while he's using the name of the Lord and worshipping the Lord, it is evil and wrong what he's doing. How do we fall into the same trap? Do we believe that God ought to give us an easy, straightforward, comfortable life? 
Do we believe that if we tick a few religious boxes that God is obliged to give us those things that we ultimately deserve? It's a good reminder, isn't it, when we see those in the persecuted world. For we know that it's impossible to think these things when you live that way, persecuted for your faith day by day. No, the Lord is not obliged to prosper us because of what we do. Micah has everything upside down. This is the nation of Israel at its worst, trying to worship God, but got completely mixed up in the way that they do it. Well, as we get into chapter 18, we see that there's a little turn in chapter 18 for Micah. Have a look again, chapter 18, verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Once again, we're reminded, no king, that's a problem. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Well, after being reminded that there was no king in Israel, which is a theme throughout these last five chapters of the book of Judges, we meet the tribe of Dan looking for a place to settle. And we say, well, that's no big deal. They're just looking for a house. They're looking up realestate.com, trying to find their way around the real estate market. But it's not quite like that. Back in chapter 1, God's people in all of their tribes were supposed to go into the promised land and take the area that was assigned to them. But the tribe of Dan did not do it because of fear. And chapter 1 verse 34 tells us that out of fear, they ran away from the place that God was supposed to give to them. And so at this moment, they still do not have any land. And so we're told in verse 2 that they send five men out to seek the land, to go looking for the land. And verses 1 to 6 tell us the story about this, as these five men come across the path of our friend Micah. They find Micah and they stay overnight. And as they stay with Micah, they meet the Levite, the personal priest that Micah has employed. They have a bit of a conversation with him and they say in verse 4, he said to them, this is how Micah has dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. And so in verses 5 and 6, we see the tribe of Dan treating God like a genie in a bottle, just like Micah had done. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace, the journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Once again, they're religious, but everything they're doing is for their own purposes, so that they might have a blessed life. But this is not the way God operates. Well, these five men head the next day out to a city called Laish. And the city called Laish is probably best understood as being like us, here in the postcode of 2508, here in Helensburg. It's a bit like us. It's a, it's a town, Laish, which is out of the way. No one really knows about it, and the locals are happy with that. And we're safe, secure, and prosperous. Sounds like us, doesn't it? Out of the way, no one knows about us, safe, secure, and prosperous. And these five men of Dan go to this small town of Laish, and they say, that's where we're going to live. It's a brilliant place. And so they head back to the rest of their nation, their tribe. And this time they bring with them 600 fighting men so they can take over the city of Laish. This is like sending the secret service to Broken Hill. It's overkill. 
And as they do that, they go back through Micah's house. And look at what takes place in verse 14. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in those houses there are an ephod and household gods, a carved image and a metal image? Now therefore consider what what you will do. And they turned aside there, and they came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Imagine the knock at the door. This Levite that's been working for Micah for a period of time gets a knock at the door, and this time it's not five men, but it's the five men with 600 men behind him, uh, you know, probably armed with Uzis and all the rest of it, ready to fight on in the city of Laish. And they give to him a proposition look at verse 16 now the 600 men of the Danites armed with their weapons of war stood by the entrance of the gate and the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image the ephod the household gods and the metal image while the priests stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war so the five men walk straight past uh, the Levite and they put all the stuff in a bag, sling it over their shoulder, and nick off with it. This little shrine that Micah had created is now completely gone. What would you do? Well, the Levite stands by and does nothing. The 600 men are way too strong for him. But he does stop in verse 18 and says, What are you doing? It's <laughs> a good question, isn't it? What are you doing? We're clearly stealing your gods and they say to him verse 19 keep quiet put your hand on your mouth and come with us to be to us a father and a priest is it better for you to be the priest to the to the house of one man or to be a priest to the tribe and clan of Israel that's a good question isn't it what a business proposition you want to be the priest to one person and one household or to a whole tribe you can have a promotion mate Verse 20, the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod, the household gods, the carved the image, and went along with the people. Well, understandably, Micah's pretty cranky about this. You've stolen my household gods. Now, that's ironic, isn't it? These household gods ought to be able to do something for themselves, ought to be able to protect themselves. But, of course, they're nothing more than metal and whatever else he had there in his household gods. And the whole thing is ridiculous. These gods should be able to do something about it. But these gods are made out of stolen property. And now these stolen property gods are stolen property in and of themselves. And so they take them, take over the city of Laish, and put the priest to work with these, their gods. Now it's a picture that's all very religious. The people want to be religious people. The people want to set up a religious setting in the, in the tribe of Dan. But it's all wrong. Yes, it's invoking the name of God, of the name of Yahweh, but it's all wrong. As chapter 17 verse 6 told us, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They might have still been able to speak the message about God, but in the end, it was evil. Self-serving. And selfish. And 3,500 years later, it can be the same for us. We can be here today self-serving. Self-serving so that we might have a better life, a more comfortable life. 
that religion is a part of our life so that God might bless us. But this is not how things work. In God's economy, in God's way of doing things, it is setting up him as the king of our lives that is the key aspect. This is the thing that Israel missed. They might have been mentioning the name of God. They might have been able to put the name of Yahweh on their lips. But their hearts were far from him. He was not their king as he should have been. And later on in the nation of Israel, they would get kings that would slow down the bleeding of this horrible, horrible, unrighteous religion. But nevertheless, they still found themselves far from their heavenly father. So where does this leave us? What does this all mean for us, these two chapters of DIY religion? What do they say to us? Well, first of all, we need to know this. There is a king in God's people. And the king of God's people today is the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits enthroned at the right hand of God because of his death and resurrection for us. We need to know and understand that he is our king. He is our Lord. And yet it's important for us to recognise in our own day that it's easy for us to say with our lips, I am a follower of Jesus, I am a Christian. That is easy to say. But it is harder to recognise that Jesus is our Lord and to live that way. See, all of us can say words. All of us can say Christian. All of us can say Jesus. But what we need is for God himself to install himself as king over our hearts. This is what we see in the Bible as as the doctrine of new birth or regeneration. That God comes and takes up residence in our heart by his spirit and is allowed to be the king of our lives. And yet, though this is the case, the worry for us is that we accept Jesus as saviour, but do we do not accept him as the Lord or king of our lives? But Jesus is our saviour and our Lord. He is our saviour and our king, our saviour and our master. And we must run away from anything that uses Jesus to bless our comfort or to bless our better me or to bless our better Life, Because as we've seen in our video earlier in our service, sometimes with Jesus as king, life is harder. Because Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him. To fight sin and to have changed and new priorities. And we ought to expect in the last days that there will be some who claim the name of Christ and are completely fraudulent. Look at this passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 to 5, it's on the screen. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. You see what it says there? 
having the appearance of godliness. The appearance of doing all the religious things. The appearance of having the name of Christ on our lips, the name of Jesus on our lips, the name Christian as our identity, but denying the power which comes with Jesus as the king of our lives. Now it must be said, when we come to know the Lord Jesus and we are born again, this is not an overnight perfection that we receive. This doesn't change in a heartbeat for us. These acts of sanctification of our life being made more holy takes time. And we see from time to time some of those things listed in 2 Timothy 3 in our lives. But the difference between us and those who do not know Christ is that with Jesus installed as king over our hearts, we will recognise the problem with each and every one of those actions in our lives. And we'll repent. We'll recognise the sorrow in our own heart for the ways we have made God into an idol. Asking him to bless us, bring us comfort, make a better me, rather than fighting sin and changing our priorities. You see, Jesus is our saviour. And Jesus is also our Lord. And there is no room for us with God's word in our hands and in our hearts, to say things like, I like to think of God as, or I like to read the Bible in this way or that way. There is no place for DIY Christianity. There is an orthodox set of beliefs. There is an orthodoxy that comes from God's word that we must stick to and not set up our own worship system but to allow Jesus to be installed in our lives as king and allow his word to rule our lives day by day by day. These two chapters are a challenge to us. They ask us to look at our own lives and see whether the words we speak with our mouths match the heart that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you as we finish Is your heart the place where Christ is installed as king in every area? Or is it only at times in our life? And how can we make sure that God's word rules our lives so that God is speaking his very word into our hearts and directing our lives? For this is what God has called us to, to be born again, to a living hope with him as saviour and as king. Well, next week we're going to look at the last chapters of the book of Judges. And I want to remind you that these last three chapters that we'll look at next week, please read them beforehand. It will make much easier if you read them beforehand next week. They are very challenging chapters and uh, cancelable in our regular culture. Have a read. Make sure you're acquainted with it. But for now, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to reflect, maybe ask a question at Slido, and then I'll come back and answer in a few minutes' time.